Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Highway Option, the cinema podcast where we answer the one question that applies to every film ever made. Is it better or worse than Vin Diesel's 2005 seminal masterpiece, The Pacifier? Now, I'm one of your hosts, Connor J. Burke, and God, if you're up there, I'm asking you, please... Please help the SNL writers find a way to have Melissa Villasenor and Chloe Feynman share sketches. They're both so talented. As much as I love Chloe, we need more Melissa back. We need more Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your other host, Luke. I I think I'm way more on the Melissa train than the Chloe train. Um, (laughs) So I I second it, but also want to pump it up. Uh, and, uh, God, if, if you're listening, can, uh, can you make sure that, that Cam Newton tests negative so we could maybe win a game tomorrow? <laughs> and we have a very special guest today. Do you want to introduce yourself? All right. Hi, I'm Alex, uh, Levitt. And, um, trying to think of what I would say as well. Um, oh, Lord, if you're up there, please just bring us the Batman just just please just the, the <laughs> just the just the batman i mean i'm i'm putting a lot of faith on you and i know that pattinson is okay but y- you can't just drop a teaser trailer and expect us not to pray that it's here so yeah now you do what you got to do now they're making us wait what two and a half more years or whatever uh, another year so After... basically yeah it's taking the uh, so dune is now taking its original mm-hmm. uh, release date and it got pushed to, I believe, March of 2022. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. man, it's fun that they're still scheduling movies. Uh, you know, it's a fun <laughs> game. It's a weird, weird, like, kind of, like, shuffle game. Because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's fun. I try to explain that to my parents where they're like, oh, like, I'm thinking, like, maybe this will happen with the virus or this will happen with the virus. And I'm like, I don't know. Wonder Woman's in March. And they're like, what kind of science is that? I'm like, it's Wonder Woman science. You know what? I I can now officially say that um, the only movie I said I would risk anything for, I did get to see, which was Tenet. How was it? You know what? I have to say, look. I will get just technical stuff out of the way. The sound design for Nolan, it, it's getting to be a little less novel. Okay. Mm. His his vocals, especially in IMAX, they are so underneath everything. So it's just like, anytime anyone had a mask on, it was very hard to hear how they were hmm. sounding. I had to buy the script on like my iPad. Wow. I read it a week later and was like, they said that <laughs> interesting oh wow but on a technical level i mean it, it the, i mean he, he's a genius like he he's the only person who can do what he does mm-hmm. which is brilliant but i do think that it was um it, it need a little more i think sound editing interesting the one movie hmm. i was thinking about risking to go see is going straight to disney plus so i'm okay is it soul it's soul baby mm. the first reviews just came out too yeah i've read some very good ones and some very mixed ones so that makes me even more excited anyway in case you couldn't tell by all of that um today's movie we are talking about it was given to us by last week's guest kendall thank you kendall it is Angels in the Outfield, the 1994 uh, Disney family movie starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Christopher Lloyd, Danny Glover, 
and Matthew McConaughey and Adrian Brody? Okay, it was Matt. McCa- McConaughey was in there. All right. Yeah. And Tony Danza. I kept forgetting about Tony Danza. But... And uh, the guy who played Damien Dark in the Arrowverse. Oh, Neil McDonough. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, Neil McDonough, man, talk about a. This is jumping ahead maybe a little bit, but wow, what a what a comedic performance he turns in. <laughs> was he the uh, broadcaster that I kept forgetting to write notes about? That was J.O. Sanders. Okay. Um, and I love J.O. Sanders. I'm a, uh, he's a huge like theater guy, so I've seen like clips of him doing Shakespeare. So it it actually is kind of hilarious seeing him say with utmost seriousness, "I'm Ranch Wilder." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First of all, completely forgot, like, that was the name of him, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, com- yeah, we'll get to my whole thing with him in a moment. Do either of you have a history with this movie? I remember, me personally, this was, like, a gym class movie. If we had to take, like, a written exam and they didn't want us to play, they'd be like, ah, oh, this is sports. It was, like, this or Remember the Titans. Uh, this was, like, I, I think the first time I saw it was a decom, but, like, this was a big childhood movie. Okay. Full disclosure, I love it. <laughs> I think I think for me, the first time, I think really truthfully, the only exposure I had before I actually watched it was it was a trailer before you know, on VHS before other Disney movies, particularly, I think, The Big Green. Um, I remember watching that. No, I know. I watched that the VHS. The Big like, Green. Which is funny because I don't know if this is a part of the criteria. Same music composer. Really? interesting it sounded too familiar not to be like why does that sound like a big green <laughs> i don't think i ever saw the big green but that was just i just remember the poster was a kind of chubby kid get goalie getting like thrown into oh, the net by a soccer ball <laughs> but um so yeah that was my first history with it was just a trailer honestly like it was just i always remember christopher lloyd mm-hmm. um and but even rewatching the trailer before I rewatched the movie, I was like, man, I forgot a lot of this. <laughs> but then I I only remember watching it maybe once or twice as a kid, but it completely like fell underneath my radar. I'm I'm also full disclosure, I'm not the biggest sports person mm-hmm. in general. I mean, I love all of the sports, like I love the Disney sports movies, like Remember the Titans, Big Green. I love all those. But for some reason, Angels in the Outfield, it always fell underneath for me. I don't know why. For the one Disney sports movie that became, like, a franchise, it's weird that this one isn't, like, I don't know. I see people annually posting Remember the Titans stuff. Like, there'll just be a meme in the middle of February of Hayden Panettiere being like, you gotta do it faster. And this just, like, it's just, hey, remember (laughs) that weird thing? Well, (laughs) I mean, because the Titans were, like, real. And in February, it's the month. Yeah, There's no, like, the Angels didn't really come down and help the Angels win the pen. But the Angels baseball team is real, and they have an entire season. (laughs) But it's it's kind of funny because I don't know when it... It would have come up way before Remember the Titans, but they did try to angle a football version of this. Yes. Uh, Angels in the end zone. There were two direct-to-TV sequels, which I was going to bring up at the end, but we can bring it up before we get into it. Uh, Angels in the end zone, which was... Both of these were Wonderful World of Disney ABC originals. Uh, Angels in the end zone was a high school football team that had Christopher Lloyd returning. 
And then the second sequel was Angels in the Infield. Oh, that's right. Where the main oh. character, uh, the main angel was not Christopher Lloyd. He was now David Allen Greer. And oh, that's he, right. And he was helping out a pitcher played by a young Patrick Warburton. That's right. And I really want to see it now. I didn't see any of these except the first one. <laughs> I forgot about Angels in the Infield. I genuinely did. I remember hearing about the end zone one, but I never saw it. Anyway, do we want to get into Angels in the Outfield? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> okay, I guess if we have to. Gotta. <laughs> All right, so the movie begins. Uh, this is the second movie we've covered in a row where one of the main characters is a dead person uh, after Casper meets Wendy and now Christopher Lloyd. But anyway, uh, so we meet Roger, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and his friend JP... They're both in a short-term foster care system run by Maggie. And they're riding their bikes around. They live near the Angel Stadium. They're just chatting, having those kid talks that you have where one person gets way too deep out of nowhere. And you're like, I don't know how to process this. I'm 12. Yeah. <laughs> JP is carrying this movie on his back. JP is wonderful. <laughs> JP is phenomenal. I have to say in rewatching, I was like, man, phenomenal. Also, for that opening scene, the weirdest juxtaposition of gritty around and just like yeah not the best part of town but no. the music is like trying to cover that up oh uh, very much so <laughs> so they driving around riding around they come back to the house and roger discovers that his dad has come to visit and his dad yes. is just a leather jacket douche yeah his dad is a shit bag <laughs> who who smokes in the living room waiting for his son he smokes indoors his son is like the angels are my favorite baseball team and he's like yeah well they suck so like i guess you do too all right bye oh, man the classic line though <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna say i remember luke you've said this multiple times throughout <laughs> our friendship so go ahead Ah, yeah, because he says, Dad, when are we going to be a family again? And he says, maybe when the angels win the pennant. And then he <laughs> drives his bike away. Because the dad is moving up north to move up north. Yeah. Doesn't, dad, doesn't to do really shitbag stuff in Canada. <laughs> oh, my God. And also, it's Dylan McDermott, too, which I completely forgot. Right. It's, a, it's a lot of weird casting of people who would go to do really big things. Yeah. But, like, main focus is JGL, Christopher Lloyd, and Danny Glover. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Danny Glover, he's playing Charlie Knox, the angry manager of the currently California Angels, not Anaheim Angels quite yet. And, you know, he's got a terrible baseball team to with uh, Tony Danza as a pitcher whose arm is hurt, Matthew McConaughey as an outfielder who crashes into another outfielder, and Adrian Brody as... I don't remember what he did. Shortstop, maybe? I think he was um, a player that never... I think he could, like, pitch pretty well or, like, catch pretty well, but he could not bat. He couldn't hit the okay. ball. He's, he's like, the last choice you would want to pick. Was that Salami? I think so, yeah. I think maybe. There was also... I forget which actor it was, but there is a... Uh, the guy who's currently pitching, because Tony Danza, their good pitcher, is hurt is just this out-of-control weirdo who's always chewing way too much gum. That's Neil McDonough. That, yeah. Okay, that is Neil That's McDonough. That's Neil McDonough. That's... 
I just, every time he showed up, I was like, this guy's incredible and I want more. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, lo I love Neil McDonough. He's, he, he pops up so randomly and he has played so many kind of like villain roles, like villain or very serious cop in charge roles. Right. So for him to just basically play a buffoon, I'm like, man, there's some range in Neil McDonough. Look at you. <laughs> or look what you used to do and look what you have been pigeonholed into yeah. doing. <laughs> Put this on your reel. First scene. Everyone needs to know you're adept at physical comedy, Neil. You're going to do so well with that. <laughs> Cross your eyes, go backwards, keep moving your head like a crazy person. You got this. That's, uh, it. That's all you have. <laughs> a fight breaks out as uh, Charlie Knox is getting kicked out of the game. But the entire fight is just the angels trying to break each other up from charlie and the pitcher fighting and the yeah. blue jays their opponents just kind of stare at him yeah yeah uh, yeah uh the one guy maple does a we suck rap in the locker room yeah, and does. that makes makes Knox angry oh he goes insane <laughs> he flips things over starts throwing chairs threatens to do it worse he's getting too old for this shit he you know what <laughs> he is getting too <laughs> Can I, can I just tell you, that is what I feel like Danny Glover wanted to say after every single take for this movie. <laughs> yeah. it, it really felt like it. <laughs> he was like, oh, this is a nice emotional children's movie. I'm going to play full rage as much as I can. He wanted a Joe Pesci moment. He wanted his Joe Pesci moment, like yeah. in a family movie. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> he wanted a Joe Pesci moment where he could just be like, okay, I get it's supposed to be super heartwarming. I'm going to add a couple F-U's and I'm getting my catchphrase, you know, I'm getting too old for that. And they're like, okay, Danny, we'll, we'll try and run it by me. <laughs> yeah, maybe, I don't know about this. He does a post-game interview with Ranch Wilder, uh, who was a former teammate of his on the Cincinnati Reds, where it's George Knox. I don't know why I wrote Charlie Knox. Charlie Knox George. is another character name somewhere, I think. Okay, but it's George. Yeah. They're antagonistic towards each other. George was better than Ranch was, and so eventually George punches Ranch in the face on TV during the post-game interview. Yeah, Ranch ruined his career. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. But also, uh, to be fair, but to, to be, like, also clear, too, like, it, it's sort of a weird how, like, Knox is still part of the team somehow, and yet Ranch went to announcing. So I'm, like, kind of trying to figure out well why they still hold on to that. Yeah, it's, it's back and forth. It's so strange. It's one of those, it's a family movie, so if you think too much about it, it starts to hurt. Yeah, uh, touche. <laughs> we got the uh, kids back in the foster house eating dinner. We're introduced to a third foster child, Miguel, who's a little antagonistic teenager. He's always trying to terrorize JP with threats or by saying Jello is actually cat brains. And JP's just like weird and just eats. He doesn't care. He's cute. He's living his <laughs> life. Yeah, it's his whole shtick. <laughs> That night is when Roger says a prayer for the angels to win the pennant so we can see his dad. And this is also when we get to see that Roger is incredibly woke because he <laughs> mentions God, if you're there, man or woman. Later he says, amen, a woman. 
like just in, just in general, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, like Roger is such a woke child for for being ninety four. Like he really gets a lot of things that a lot of kids that age were like would probably be clueless about. Yeah, he's a very modern child. It, it's kind of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's whole thing is being an adult in a too small body. Yes. Oh my god, that's why. <laughs> It's so funny because that is such an accurate statement. <laughs> he is. He is a. He is a man child. He's a very. He's a, He's an action figure size actor. He went from. In this, he's a child man, and then in the later half of his career, he's a man child. Yes. That's the full trajectory for him. He's going nowhere else. So the pitcher in this. Um. After this, it's back to another game. We see how the. After we pan out to that horrible star screen. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's the stars. You see a shooting star. It's God is real. He's canon. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I, I remembered it being less of a, a part of the whole thing. I know that sounds silly because, like, it's Cause angels, it's in, angels the in the outfield. Uh, but, like, Savannah asked me when we were watching it, and she was like, is this going to be, like, a Jesus-y thing? And I was like, I mean, I don't really remember it, especially. Like, they're just there. And then she kept, like, bringing it up periodically. Like, no, oh, yeah, this isn't Jesus. I mean, they don't mention Jesus himself at all. No. They don't ever go that far. They don't have Christopher Lloyd come down and be like, oh, if they help him with the pennant, then like, oof, boy, we'd end up worse than the boss's kid, I'm telling you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it does feel like, though, that I th- I just think in general, I'll probably reiterate it maybe later on, but it, d- it definitely feels like that this was meant to be a very modest kind of script like a modest kind of movie like oh it's kind of interesting there's like a family dynamic there's like this but i feel like it got in the hands of disney and there was a couple things that they were like okay we really love the messaging we really loved i feel like that there are a couple things from the disney side of things to really make it our brand mm-hmm. which we'll get into probably as well but it's it's fascinating when you look at it from afar it, it's almost the only thing I can think of, if you replace all of the goofy stuff with it, there's an M. Night Shyamalan movie that he made before he went full horror called Wide Awake. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah remember, it, it was a movie where I was like, when I first saw it as a trailer as a kid, I was like, what is this supposed to be? And then you watch it more, and it's like, oh, there's a heavy religious aspect to this. Big religious thing, but the kid is just so tired all the time so tired all the time and it's joseph matarazzo and it's just like oh my god but if you it's like it that movie had like some sort of relationship with like a buster keaton kind of like Mm. physical slapstick kind of movie and i that may have led what what scene is the scene would be equatable but it is bizarre the turns that it tries to take because the the, it, the baseline story is actually so kind of simple and kind of could be something cool. Right. Even with the religious aspects and the whole idea of angels and believing in a, in a thing like that. But it just takes some such bizarre turns. But... Neil McDonough, as, uh, his name is Whit Bass. The angels are all messing with each other during the national anthem. They tell him that it's not, oh, say, can you see... It's actually about a Spanish guy. The first lyric is, Jose, can you see? <laughs> uh, and, like, we've seen him eat bugs, lick dirt, floss his catcher's teeth in the dugout, 
chewing a ton of gum. This is this is ninety four, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I think that this is somewhere around. There's a a very clear s- split of when chewing tobacco stopped. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's definitely and, a few moments of tobacco, but yeah. But then bubblegum took over big, mm-hmm. and in like media and stuff, there was a a clear pivot. And there were times where I felt like, oh, maybe that's what we're watching is like, this is right after that. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few scenes where you see him spit, but then the rest of the time he's just got like a whole bag of big league chew right. in his mouth. I also wonder if that's like solely for Disney. Cause I, I remember, I think rookie of the year came out around the same kind of time or, or, or maybe a year later or something like that. I want to say that's 92 or 93. Probably. But... Okay, then maybe it is right before because that was 20th Century Fox, but they, like, Daniel Stern's character was just spitting that stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting point that Disney or a more child-friendly studio was trying to transition it into bubble gum. <laughs> which fits. <laughs> which fits. During this, there is a big fly ball, and the angels come down from the sky and carry Matthew McConaughey for a miracle catch. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is at the game, and he's like, oh my god, there's an angel in the outfield. Oh my god, yeah, the the title drop. Kid doesn't even try to hide it. <laughs> Not at all. There's no subtlety. Yeah, the jokes too, especially about like, yeah, there's angels in the outfield. They're playing right now. No, there's angels in the outfield. Roger, what are you talking about? Like... So, yeah, the second the California Angels became a team, I'm sure someone was like, well, this is perfect. Because this is actually a remake of a 1951 movie. Uh, it does not have the same... It has the same name. It's so fat. It's a remake. It's a remake, really, in title and angels kind of help vaguely only. So it's like so it's about the pirates, and their manager is rude. When a reporter tries to learn about him, he starts hearing an angelic voice to like try to teach him how to do better. At least that's what IMDb Hmm. said. So it's interesting that, but like the second the California Angels became a team, somebody was probably like, this has to be, we have to make this movie again. It's that same concept of like, oh, we have a really great base idea mm-hmm. and let's channel and let's, you know, channel it through the Disney lens. What would that look like? <laughs> it's, it's adding all the missing pieces to the DNA of this. And after Roger sees the angels, in comes Al, the head angel, played by Christopher Lloyd, to explain the rules to him and really not much else. I thought there was a lot more Christopher Lloyd in this movie. Yeah! Than there really is. He's, like, there for a few scenes to be like, this is how the angels work. I I always think I have a Christopher Lloyd, and then I start doing it, and I don't. (laughs) It's close, though. It's like... It, you know what it feels like? And Christopher Lloyd has this kind of, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse. It's sort of like the page master. Yeah. He pops up for a couple scenes, maybe as a voice here or there, but like, but they build the whole thing around, get to see Christopher Lloyd, Doc mm. Brown in another movie. That's, well, yeah, like the 80s, 90s run, like after he did Taxi, once he was in movies, being the big comedy star, like, especially with kids' movies, it would just be like, you get your Lloyd for a couple of scenes, 
He does his thing. Everyone goes, we love him. He gets out of there a couple million dollars richer. Yeah, he was used very sparingly. Um, the first time I was really distracted by the fact that he was uh, he was playing God or Fate or Time or whatever, and his name was Al, and it wasn't a Quantum Leap joke. Uh, <laughs> according to the credits, he is the Boss Angel, so I don't think he's God. No, I never thought he was God. I definitely think that he was like the head angel in charge yeah. or certainly yeah. like someone who has those type of powers, but I don't think can truly do anything more than that he definitely has god on his pager but like besides from that only roger can see and hear him because he's the only one who asked and also for cg effect shenanigan purposes like big guy sitting down on top of christopher lloyd and becoming half christopher lloyd half big man (laughs) how about also his face in a coke cup yeah pops out It's, there's a lot of just like, look what we can do with CGI. But could they? I will give it credit. It doesn't look as cheesy as I thought it was going to look. Like for 94, those were actually kind of impressive. Yeah, it looks baseline 1994. Not like, if you don't remember that Jurassic Park was a year earlier, then it's like, yeah, these look fine. But also. With perspective, it, 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 it let's put it this way there would be cgi an entire person if they were to redo it today oh yeah it would it would not look good so roger and jp win a chance to take a picture with george knox and it's real awkward no one knows how to smile <laughs> he just does not want to be there i think the line is can we make it not look like a prison photo yeah is referenced multiple times but during that roger explains to knox that hey i saw an angel pick up matthew mcconaughey and the play oh also uh one of the bigger players hits a huge home run after not being able to hit for a while salami baby but isn't it the big guy who explodes the bat yeah, yeah, and oh. it, it the ball goes out on the like, that was the most unrealistic part of it was that he broke the bat and it wasn't just like a pop up foul; it was a home run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those both happened, and Knox asks McConaughey and the bigger guy, uh, "Hey, what happened? How'd you feel?" And it's like it felt like someone was helping me. Felt like I don't know what it was. Maybe it was those chili dogs I ate before the game. <laughs> oh, man. Knox gets kind of an idea that maybe Roger's a good luck charm. Maybe not. He gets his media assistant to go to the game with JP and Roger. And of course, because it's a guy in a suit and it's the 90s, we got to cover him in shit. But not only a but... tie, a bow tie. <laughs> He comes to the game after the the kids go home, and then George gets their picture and hand delivers it. Yeah. To yeah. show up at the house. I mean, the house is also, like, right there. Yeah, it's but he so still close to the showed stadium. up. He was like, hey, I'm here to talk to the child who lives here. And she, and, and I love how he's he's talking to Maggie. just like, I'd actually like to see him, see him myself. And she's like, okay, come on yeah. in. 
1994. We don't know Stranger Danger yet. We don't have caller ID yet. Shout out Taylor Negron for that character, uh, David, uh, the, the guy in the suit. Because Oh, yeah. Yeah. He pops up in a lot of stuff. Um, funny enough, he played the pizza man in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. He's... It's just random because I watched that last week because I watched the table read with Shia LaBeouf and right. everything. And then I rewatched the movie and I was like, oh my God, it's Taylor Negron. What is he doing? <laughs> when they're at the game with him, they cover him in mustard. They cover him in Coke. Christopher Lloyd does soda teleport to fully explain the angel rules. <laughs> and uh, so basically it's only Roger can see him as we've stated. Don't tell anyone about them, even though he already told JP and Knox. Don't tell anyone else because they like to work in secret. They don't want uh, people praising them or asking them for more stuff. And there's no commitments or guarantees. They come and go as they please. And after that very serious bit of exposition to let the kids have a moment to breathe, David sits on nachos. (laughs) Ha ha, he got cheesy ass. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I I did did like like all of the, the, like, like, spilling stuff on Slimy Snake Man. I mean, yeah, it's it's 1994. Like, that was the peak of any kid stuff is just, like, adult plus goop equals, like, out of the park. Perfect. But also adult trying to still play adult. Like, I'll save it for later. Like, because he says yeah. that. He literally sits yeah. down on it. Mm-hmm. They're looking at him like, this guy. And he's like, I'll save it for later. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like, that was that, that's incredible if we think about like how we have grown in terms yeah. of co- like we really were so simple back then we just like ah let's just spill some goopy food still works though <laughs> we all love a messy movie i love it roger sees another angel this time massaging adrian bro adrian brody's shoulders get a good dolly zoom to reveal it dolly zoom is my favorite shot in the history of cinema this way adrian brody hits it and they screw with the ball so adrian can run all the way home balls bouncing around doing so much unnatural stuff yeah they rack 20 errors on that yeah Yeah, it's like 20 something errors and that's making ranch lose his mind towards his co-anchor and the stats girl who gives him stats yeah I (laughs) i believe her name was stats girl yeah real but but she brought such range in that one role of stats girl you know <laughs> she did a lot of running i i will say like and christopher uh, christopher lloyd like literally conducting everything like in true like if there was as little as he's in that movie i feel like every movie has a christopher lloyd moment like that mm-hmm. just he's very gangly so we'll just do a lot of like with his arms and we'll just do just these like what kind of just faces to it it's yeah so it's good i mean maybe it is good to have them in small batches sometimes it's good to have them in small batches it's good to have them in general it's good that he's an angel but speaking of good my big moral question with the entire movie if angels are good why they cheat yes yes i was thinking that like why are you cheating right now (laughs) Like, I understand it's to, like, help the wish of a little boy or whatever, but 
It's it's weird. It's I thought about that think, for ten seconds and then forced myself yeah, not to. That some of the some of it is blatantly cheating. Um, Matthew McConaughey being carried to the ball is cheating. The ball dancing Bounce, around. Yeah, the ball being yeah. flubber. Yeah, cheating for sure. But like massaging the guy's shoulders until he hits the first ball he's hit in his whole career. I don't know that that's cheating so much as it is like a secret stuff is okay yeah but still many instances of like um yeah like um the guy the dying guy he still has some juice left in the tank oh yeah tony tony danza i don't know that he's yeah (sighs) tony danza as mel clark this is a much later reveal but since you bought it up i guess we can get to it now completely forgot about that too yeah He's going to die of lung cancer in six months. And Christopher <laughs> Lloyd knows this and tells Roger uh, during the final game. We'll get to it. But that, I couldn't focus on the rest of the movie for that. I, I was like, this either. is awful. This is sad. Oh, did, you, did you not know it up until that moment? No, I didn't. I, I forgot. I didn't oh. pay attention. Like, a lot of my notes, I didn't pay attention to a lot of the characters. It might have been because I watched it in the morning before work. It might have been, I don't know what it was. But, like, I barely wrote any notes about Ranch until he became the antagonist. I was just like, oh, yeah, an asshole reporter does some asshole stuff, whatever. And then he kept getting more and more. I'm like, oh. Oh, no, I have to. Oh, whoops. But, like. Oh, he, like. That was one that I think came back to me pretty quick because you get that first exchange and George is like ripping on him about how he's all spent because he took the drugs that he told him he was supposed to. And then for like the rest of the movie, every time you see him, he's like hacking up a lung. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, was sm- he was smoking in the tub. Yeah. Yeah. Smoking his little ice tub to help his arm uh, um- or whatever. Yeah, unlike the chewing tobacco, we were still in the prime of, like, smoking in places. Yeah. It is the reveal... I know maybe jump ahead, but the, the reveal of that and also just the blatant un... Like, like there was no grace period for anyone to feel anything. No, it's real casual, just like, oh, I'm gonna... It, it's almost played off as a joke. It is. Even, even though no. it's not. Yeah, I'm gonna see him in about six months. What? Yeah, he's been smoking for a while. Anyway, we can't help you win the pennant. Goodbye. It was not. It was I, not a joke. I know it wasn't, but just the speed as which it was delivered felt like... I don't know. If this was a more cynical movie, it would have been a joke. It is. You could if copy, this movie about angels you could copy helping a baseball team cheat... You could copy and paste cynical. a line about an angel talking to a child and the child being like, are you here to save me? It's like, no, I'm here to see that guy is going to die in an hour. Like, you could copy and paste this scene yeah. into, like, a, I don't know, a Coen Brothers movie and, like, have it be a huge laugh line. But this, it's, anyway, back to, like, 40 minutes before that. <laughs> 40 minutes before uh jp's got some tragic car related backstories so knox gives him a ride home in the club bus some some questionable car related trauma yeah used to live on the front seat of the car used to curl up like a cat you can't yeah. ride in a car 
but he can ride in a van bigger. or a bus. Bigger. Yeah. Oh, it's bigger. <laughs> it's bigger. I'll give you. I'll give you the tour bus, but a van is a car. A van has another extra <laughs> row of seats. Yeah. It's not a two seater where Man. you're parking it somewhere. It's also kid brain. Kid brain don't make yeah. sense. Uh, so because Maggie's home is a short-term care foster home miguel was placed into a new home jp and roger are sad that they lost a brother and then uh back to another angels game roger tells Knox that tony danza mel clark has to pitch even though his arms messed up and this is when Knox is starting to believe everything yeah and He's pitching real well. He keeps on pitching, doing some, you know, angel help stuff. Uh, at this point, I made the note, baseball games and movies are a lot more interesting than baseball games in real life. Yes, they are. It's strange how that happens. Like, as much, I like baseball games. I used to work at a baseball stadium. But, like, it's 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 a very slow game. But then movies are, like, greatest hits uh reels of like this is what you want to see at a baseball game i think movie but movie versions of baseball games know how to fill in the silences i think a little bit better because again from somebody who's only watched very minimal baseball in their life the silences where you're just waiting for someone to just pitch something you, you want to hear dialogue somewhere <laughs> it's just like and eh, it's bottom of the ninth run oh you think he's really gonna throw that pitch well He's got his whole life ahead of him. I guess he's got you know, like you you need almost something mm. Friday night lightsy. That's why it's about. I feel I'm the opposite. See, I think I wish there yeah. was I wish there was no talking in sports. That's <laughs> like, super when we're watching weird. a movie. No man, there's so much. And if you look at like the past ten or fifteen years, and you were to compare how much more just like extra bullshit happens and it's not exclusive to like baseball it's everything it's like football it's every every 10 seconds we got some kind of new animation and like the announcers are talking about like shit that's happening on twitter like i i watch stuff so often that i just crank it down (laughs) might just be uh the phillies commentators as i was growing up there was always like the series the play-by-play guy and then larry anderson was the color commentator and half the time, like, they'd be like, oh, that was a great, like, home run pitch. And he'd be like, man, I had a good ice cream the other day. I love ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just says whatever he wants. And, like, that's, I don't know, that's what I'm used to. But it's interesting. Anyway, uh, game's exciting. Ranch continues to be an asshole to everyone around him. And, like, his co-anchor and stats girl give him dirty looks the whole time. But don't do anything um a plot line that that could have been cut oh easily yeah. and so we get after this Knox tells roger and jp that they can have anything they want so we have our second instance of professional players playing a sport with children in a junkyard on this podcast after little giants and oh my god uh, Knox plays baseball with a bunch of random little children in a junkyard and it's cute it's nice the kid runs home run home run home run home run home well you told him to run home yeah there's a part of me that thinks that that 
as cute as it is, maybe I'm getting too submit. It feels it goes on maybe a minute or two too long. Like we get it. Like we kind of get it. But I also think, yeah. For me, it was saved by the obvious ADRing of the kid continually just going, okay, run home, run home, run home, run home, run home. That clearly was a kid who's never been on camera before. (laughs) (laughs) That's the producer's kid. I also think that, wait, um, Sandlot came out in what 93 maybe 92 i think it's 93 yeah they definitely cherry picked that then because i feel like they were like you know what sandlot is so successful we gotta cherry we gotta put our kids in a junkyard yeah we We gotta make it we gotta bring him down to his roots we got a baseball movie (laughs) the neighborhood actually almost looked a little bit like the sandlot neighborhood it did yeah like really did I really uh, think that but, they grabbed that a little bit from there. I'm, I'm gonna, kid, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with that. I think that they did. <laughs> the kid George called uh, Babe Ruth. I didn't, he he looked a little like him. I thought, and he was like he yeah. was doing some mannerisms. Like I thought that was a nice touch. He's got a uh, scar. He's got like a, he's got like a battle wound. <laughs> that scar kid has on seen his... things. Uh, so we get our montage of the angels who continue winning with help from the angels. Uh, one angel makes the big guy go fast by slapping his ass a bunch. Mm, that's right. There's, there's just, a, there's so much happening in the montage. There's a punching. Somebody punches another player in the head, which, mm-hmm. uh, if you ask A-Rod, is not allowed. <laughs> uh, yeah, just so much stuff happens. Christopher Lloyd's doing some, you know, wacky Christopher Lloyd montage stuff. And then we find out that for the next game oh no roger has a hearing in court to like find out his status as a foster child Damn and it's at social the, workers and it's at the same time as the game and the angels not i'm not going <laughs> and the angels need all the luck they can get their one went away from the pennant and proms tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> he goes so intense he's like he, maggie i'm not going but she's like being genuine. She's she's like, yeah, there's nothing I can do. I even tried working at this around this. You're just sounding like an ass right now, Roger. Maggie's kind of the perfect person. There is no faults with Maggie. Yeah, man. No, she's perfect. There's not a fault with with Bird Lady is great in this. Who? Bird Lady. Oh, oh it, is. it is. It is. Holy shit! It is. Wow. <laughs> um. Sorry. Why does she look familiar? And I knew it was Brenda Frick because I've seen her in other things. I was like, for God, she was in Lost in New York. Yep, pigeon lady. Ah, but she is perfect. So JGL, like, calm down. Yeah, but he's not going. Not going. But I gotta he, be there. He they also, and... the, they fucking, when they talked about how they were going to work out the arrangement, George was like, all right, you're going to be at all the home games, and then we'll work out some way for you to call me in the dugout. And then they never showed that. Not yeah. once. Yeah, and he made a big deal about, like, the phone you're always yelling into? That v- yeah. V phone? And I don't know if there was, like, maybe some stuff that got scrapped or... But I'm... then they reference it again later, and I was reminded of, oh, we didn't see any. I'm sure this movie feels like it has a good amount of deleted scenes that, like, they put the first cut together, and then they were like, oh, this is two hours long for a family movie. Let's get it down to hour 41. Yeah. And even then, yeah, it's it's not exactly a tight film. 
I thought it was a little long, yeah. Roger does end up going to his hearing, trying to listen to the game on the radio, trying to get there in time. Because it's a local court, takes a while for his thing to happen. And his uh, douchebag dad is back. And he's fully giving him up, making him property of the state because he's a fucking prick. He is terrible. And I love how they kind of cross-cut from the him waiting to like him in the court being like, yeah, I understand. Kid's not mine anymore. Fine. Let me just sign this. I'm good. Yeah. Let's just go. Oh, but then, <laughs> but then JGL's, he's so excited. Like, Dad! The angels are about to win the pennant, and we're going to be a family of where are you going? Oh, my God. And also, it goes in slow motion for that. Did, did you not notice that? Yeah. He, it, for... Like, when he's hugging Maggie... And when Dylan McDermott just leaves, everything around him is moving in slow motion. Like, I think that's just a very 90s choice to emphasize drama. I agree with that. <laughs> it's a sad time. It's, it's a very just like... It's, when there's a... When, when you're getting a big sad to happen to you, sometimes the, feel, sometimes the world feels like it's in slow motion. That's true. The Angels lost, and JP is just absolutely destroyed by it. He really is. But, I, I, now, let's talk about fucking Ranch Speedman's plan here. Tug Speedman. Ranch boat. Wilder. <laughs> yeah. Fucking. Although I like Ranch sees... Speedman better. <laughs> Ranch Speedman! He sees this kid sobbing in the dugout. And then he walks over and listens to this six-year-old boy talk about how there's angels. And he's like, this is it. This is my fucking hit piece. Yeah, this is when he becomes the villain of the film with like 20 minutes to go. Just out of nowhere, JP's crying and he's like, what's wrong, kid? And JP's like, the angels in the outfield didn't help because Roger wasn't there and I couldn't see them and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. So as Luke said, Ranch is like, cool, I'm getting all these as quotes and reporting that George Knox is a lunatic. Finally, because he has religion. I bet Ranch Wilder went home that night being like, I did my job to the best of its abilities today. I'm really killing this. I just got a full story from a crying child. I'm rocking the, I'm killing the game. Honey, I finally proved that George was a nut job. Lock the door and take the kids to the or tell the kids to go to the movies. Oh, honey, not is this for real this time? Like, no, I really got him. I know that it's been a whole movie, but I really got him this time. Um, so now everyone knows about the Angels, which makes the owner of the California Angels almost fire George. But also bullshit. Yeah, like I, he, I don't understand. <laughs> There's like, no world where George turned this team around. They were in last place. They're one game away from winning the division, and it doesn't matter who what superstition he has that's making him think what's happening. He's not gonna fire him for fundamentally being good at his job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but nah, never mind. I, I, I also I I love how cl- uh, how like 
incredibly like Tex Richmond the the owner is. He's apparently based off the real Angel's owner. Oh, really? Okay. Um, or one of them. Hang on, I have to get back to the IMDb trivia page. So, it, yeah, it felt like Tex Richmond or something uh, like that. He's loosely based off Gene Autry, who passed away in October '98. He was one of the former owners of the uh, Angels, and like it's a character of that man. Mm-hmm. But I like Tex Richmond better. <laughs> Tex Richmond, or it's like Dex, uh, or Doug Dimmodome. <laughs> oh no, the Dimmsdale Dimmodome. Dale Dimmodome. That's Dimmodome. right, Doug Dimmodome. Dimmodome. One of the Dimmsdale Dimmodome. So, uh, the owner, who's actually named Hank Murphy gives George 24 hours before he can do a press conference to disavow all angel talk. Um, so later at the press conference, George is starting to be like, I don't know, I don't know, but Maggie gets up. And Maggie is here to save the day, which, like, again, she's perfect. <laughs> she's the perfect Maggie, person. George kind of, like, he dispels it a little bit, and then mm. Maggie stands up to just blow up his spot. Yeah. She's like, yo, <laughs> players pray sometimes, so, like, what the fuck's wrong with angels? And that's <laughs> where the, 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 the religious aspect, where which, that's the highest it will go, is that whole interaction. Yeah, no, they're not gonna, <laughs> this isn't becoming, like, a God's Not Dead style ending, where it's like, maybe you're not gonna see Hank, like, put on a cross very slowly like i believe again there's also not a song with the title where it's like god's not dead (laughs) after this george knox makes his speech and he's like you know what i do believe and then all of his players stand up and they're like we believe with george we love george george is great and so knox is still the manager and now jp and roger have little uniforms with their names on it that were yeah. quickly monogrammed. <laughs> the little dugout boys. The I am Spartacus thing, that was cute. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was nice. Like a lot of this this for me, this movie isn't like super in your face fantastic, but like it's good and nice. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> it's non offensive. Exactly. It it actually in certain moments kind of catches you by surprise a little bit in terms of like the emotion side of things. It's a sports movie, so naturally, like, these sports set pieces are gonna be exciting. Like, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I think it's nice, and then they were like, you know what? Like, a focus group watched it and was like, we still need a couple more slapstick gags. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, we need some more goop. Uh, we need... Uh, we need more crazy food outages and, and everything like that. Michael Eisner is watching the daily. He's like, damn it, we need more goo. <laughs> <laughs> we need more buffoonery on the field. So it's time for the Western Conference final against the defending championships, the Chicago White Sox. A tough game with no real angels in sights because championships have to be won on their own, according to Al. This yeah, is what now we Now there's rules. This is... No, there was rules in the beginning. There were. We yeah. went over them. But it's like, okay, we, we cheated. We Christopher should have done that. We can only cheat up to this point. Christopher Lloyd's full dialogue scenes in this film are, hey, I'm an angel, here are the rules. Montage is where he doesn't have dialogue. Hey, remember this one rule I didn't tell you? Also, that man's gonna die real soon. So, like, be ready, buddy. <laughs> And he like he does look like like the more and more after he after he says the six months thing, 
And then every time you see uh, Mel Clark, he, mm. he looks like he is dying. Well, right. It's it's partially because they're making him pitch a nine inning game. Oh my god, that's the, so much pitching for one this, pitcher. Uh, and that's, it's not it's so, not the only weird thing in this game, baseball wise. Yeah, like, but Mel that, should be out in by inning six. Mel should not be pitching anymore. I was gonna say bottom of the seventh, but yeah. Well, but, like, they throwing... said like a hundred and fifty six pitches. That's yeah. so many. He throws a hundred, a hundred and sixty one pitches by the end of it. I, again, I'm not a sports person, but it's the only time I've ever seen really everyone else kind of making up for the fact that the pitcher is not throwing so well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that happens from time to yeah. time, but but it's never framed as mm-hmm. yeah. But this is that also happens, and they keep trying to say like, "Oh, it's such a great like moment of teamwork." When it's really like bad coaching from George. Yeah, but Rogers like you got to keep him in. Why? Ah, oh, man, I'm not going to tell you, but like in six months you'll find out. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice that he gets to finish it, but like he's he's hitting guys with the ball. Uh, the there was. There's a guy on first, he's running to second off mm-hmm. of a, a bunt, a terrible bunt, and he misses a throw to first for no reason. That should have been a double play. Should and, have ended the game. and now we get a White Sox uh, batter whose whole thing is hit or die. Yeah. He's got a tattoo on his arm, the commentators say something about it, and Mel's worried, get an inspirational speech from George. Everybody does angel flaps for inspiration. Everybody, the entire stadium, the owner. And during all of this, uh, did you guys watch it on the YouTube link I sent? I did, yeah. Did yours also get copyright struck? So the entire, this entire sequence was silent. Oh, I must have watched a different one. Oh, I watched a different link then. I may have found a different link by accident. Yeah, no. For this, as they were flapping, like, the inspirational music was coming, and then it cuts out. And then, scrolling down to the description, it was, like, claimed by Walt Disney Records. God. They probably were like, you know what, this sounds too much like the big green. We gotta copyright it. Yeah. (laughs) It is. It is a spiritual version of the big green theme. Like, just as the music. (laughs) It was super awkward, but, like, everything went back after that. And... At last, it's three and two, top of the ninth, because the Angels are the home team. And Mel should be gone, but he stays in. And the batter hits the ball, and Mel catches it. The Angels win the pennant. Hooray! Yay! Yeah. Roger and his dad are going to be a... Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. But All it's, of that. it's okay, because Knox adopts Roger and JP. Just yeah. out of nowhere. In a, in a Magic wow. Mike moment, just <laughs> adopts the kids. Both yeah, kids. I, yeah. I was thinking, you could come to live with me. And JP's like, now I'll be alone. He's like, I gotta have me some JP. Like, of course JP <laughs> is coming. And then, but what about Maggie? My job's done. Yeah. Just, I'm out. Bring, bring on the other kids. I don't know, man. Also, one thing I forgot to point out 
earlier on is when like when Mc, like Miguel's interaction with JP has been like, yeah, Jello is cap range, you idiot. Oh, you're gonna be an orphan forever. And then he goes, oh, Miguel got placed for the family. I really was starting to like Miguel. <laughs> well, yeah, J- JP just takes everything in stride, and he's like, that guy's telling funny jokes. He has run off crying in that room twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's that age. <laughs> yeah, he's six. And uh, right before the film ends, JP looks out the window and he sees Al right before he flies away. I knew it. <laughs> Someone and, always uh, says that at the end. And Ranch gets fired. Yeah, Ranch gets fired for... I never understood why Ranch got fired. Because he was a dick. <laughs> okay, Ranch, yeah, you're fired. What? You can't fire me? Oh, Anchor flips it to his thing. He probably listened to his announcing for the first time. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, Ranch is a terrible commentator. Well, because yeah, Ranch hate, actively hates the team that he's announcing for, which is, like, not how it works as a hometown announcer. No. You don't hear, like, Jerry Remy coming out and be like, I hope the fucking Yankees win this one. <laughs> well, he even blatantly says, like, and I can speak for all of us. It's about time. Yes. Like in, in terms of Mel getting removed from mm-hmm. uh, from being a picture. And I'm like, damn, Ranch. I mean, like, we get it. They're not doing the best. Like, mm-hmm. give them a chance. Because let's be honest. How many sports movies have you guys seen where the announcer is very dubious, but then by the end is totally on board with it, is totally like, oh, they just won. Well, yeah, because that's, that's what ha- Like, it's just the excitement of the game. Except for this guy, he's just like, that should have been me. Right. (laughs) But, so, yeah, movie's over, and the credits begin with the hit song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Yep. And that is Angels in the Outfield. Woo! So now it's time for us to move on to our criteria, which we do every week, comparing this film to the 2005 masterpiece, Vin Diesel's The Pacifier. Yeah! First up, how's the soundtrack? It's eh, it's fine. It's actually there's not a lot there to really mm. pick apart. There's only a couple instrumental parts, and then I honestly didn't think we were gonna get any sort of like soundtrack songs, right? But then obviously the uh, the I think it's the Beatles that like the hippie dippy shippy shake doing. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. And then um, it's all right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, which is actually maybe my favorite song use of the entire movie, which is that in that game context. And also, take me out to the ball game. I mean, that you know, <laughs> I don't even. The thing is, I don't even count that as part of the soundtrack because it's just an obvious get. Yeah, yeah. It's to. like you gotta have it, but I would say it's it's unremarkable, but it's well selected. It's there's nothing that seems out of place for me, at least music wise. Except in the beginning where the very inspirational music is playing with the gritty uh, Anaheim (laughs) streets, you know? But no, I don't think anything's out of place, though. I mean, it's all pretty well-selected soul songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll second that. I'm just in on the soundtrack. It's interesting you mention the Anaheim streets because the... Uh, according to the trivia, this actually was filmed in Oakland. The stadium is the Oakland Coliseum because... That makes sense. According to IMDb trivia, which is wrong, it said in 1994 it was the last multi-purpose stadium in existence, which meant it uh, 
used both NFL and MLB, which is false because uh, the Phillies and the Eagles shared Veterans Stadium until its collapse in 2000, not collapse, until its uh, destruction in 2003. Yeah. So they don't know what they're talking about, clearly, <laughs> in that one. But I almost said Oakland, too, because, of it, mm-hmm. I, because they, they are very similar. Yeah, very vibes. Uh, next up, where does the main actor land on the Dieselometer, which is a ranking of uh, comparison and ranking of Vin Diesel's performances based on charm and ability? The main actor in this was Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Roger. Uh, Luke, what do you think? All right, this one's kind of a stretch. Of course, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, I said the the Vin. The demand in the contract for the Fast and the Furious movies that he never loses a fight. Interesting. All right. Um, I said Groot because he's innocent and caring for those around him, and he is friends with a much shorter person. Oh wow! I would. Okay, this is a real stretch, and I don't even know why it just popped into my head. I'm gonna go with Xander Cage. All right. And and here it here's why. Xander Cage on the outside appears to be like this it appears to be one way like not and so in comparison Knox is looking at Roger like this kid this kid's crazy he's got nothing to, nothing to offer like well he's just some pesky kid and then what happens oh he takes a note he takes a note Danny Glover becomes Samuel L. Jackson in this case brings him in and then starts to kind of so I, I think that I'm gonna go with Xander Cage it falls on the Xander Cage all right. Triple X scale right there. Next up, did I like this as a kid or would I have liked this as a kid? I think I remember, I forget if I watched this as a kid, but I probably would have. It's charming and like as little, very raised Catholic boy, I would have seen Angel stuff and been like, cool, my parents will let me watch this. <laughs> Luke is dancing like I'm going to say, hell song. yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I if, if I think back to again what we discussed in the beginning i if i had the option between angels in the outfield or like the big green because those were like the two kind of prominent i would take the big green over it but i would certainly watch this movie if it was on like if it, if like a you know if it was like a rainy day in class and we had to watch something i would sit down and watch it but it wouldn't be my immediate go ahead i should say but i probably would have still seen it in theaters knowing me as a kid whether I would have liked it, I think I would have been impartial to it, but... Okay. Yeah. Um, next up, what has the director gone on to do? So this was directed by William Deere. He directed movies such as The Foursome, One of the Sandlot sequels, Midnight Stallion, Whack the Dawn. But before this, he directed Harry and the Hendersons. And he like, did. And an episode of Dinosaurs. So, like... And one of my... And this is probably the only time I'll ever say this. My favorite Richard Grieco movie, If These Looks Could Kill. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Okay. Real, uh, this is, it's shocking that this guy made this movie now. Because now I'm like, it is essentially about uh, Richard Grieco playing a high schooler. Because Jump Street. Mm. But this was like in the 90s. So he was way past it. So like, you're can't play at high school so he has to you know he fails graduation like he can't graduate so his teacher says like you get to come on a foreign exchange student 
you're gonna come with us to a foreign trip and if you pass you'll graduate he get his name though is the same as a secret agent oh, and okay. the secret agent dies by the hands of oddly enough I forget the actress but she, you know and it's Roger Rees as the villain Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mono e mono from uh, uh, Robin Hood and yeah. Tights. Um, it is a bizarre movie, though. There is some. I would highly suggest watching that just separately. If these looks could kill Richard Grieco, all right, genius. But it's also shocking that he directed Harry and the Hendersons and yeah. went to that. <laughs> like that's crazy. Is there anything in this film that's as memorable as the pacifiers Peter Panda dance? just because it was the one thing i remembered from seeing it as a child whether it was from the trailers or not just the various christopher lloyd transitions to how he enters and how he leaves like soda cup man and stuff yeah oh easily for sure um i'm gonna this is a tie it's between the the first two angels that show up at the game the the bat and the the pulling the matthew mcconaughey Mm. and uh and the line of Maybe we'll be a family when the angels won the pennant. <laughs> oh, oh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I also think the the she- I'll add one moment too. The sheer audacity of this dad just sitting in a per- in like a dimly lit room, just smoking a cigarette in someone else's house, <laughs> and just and also putting it out on his leg. He was just like ashing and putting it out on his leg, and I'm like, this He's is got- the guy you want to be a family with. He's got issues. Oh, Dylan McDermott. Who is the Brad Garrett, Carol Kane, insane, memorable side character of the film? What'd you guys have first? Oh, I went back and forth on this, to be honest. I really honestly thought it was going to be Taylor Negron uh, with with David. I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be that, but then I realized he didn't do that much, except wear like a beekeeper hat. Yeah, he wanted to stay dry. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Neil McDonough though, uh, the the, the bass guy. I think Mm -hmm. easily that is the, 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 that's what you build a marketing around to get people to see your movie with. I also said Neil McDonough as Whit Bass, or as I referred to in my notes, uh, Pitcher McHimbo. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I was split between the same two, Damien Dark and Slimy Snake Man. That's a dead tie. <laughs> oh, I, the only other thing I was going to say is is I, I didn't think it was obvious to pick Christopher Lloyd, because you can't really pick him as a side yeah, he's kind of a main character, but kind of not. It's... <laughs> a, a way underused one. Yeah, it's weird. And last but not least, is there anything in this film that is bat- that is as batshit insane as the Sound of Music subplot from The Pacifier, which, in case you don't remember, is a two-scene subplot in The Pacifier introduced with about uh, 20 to 30 minutes left in the movie, where Seth, one of the boys Vin Diesel's watching, is discovered to have bleached hair and a Nazi armband in his locker at school, so naturally, everyone believes he's a Nazi. One day, Vin Diesel follows him, uh, I believe it's on a children's bike, to what he believes will be a Nazi rally, and it turns out he's just playing Rolf in a community theater production of The Sound of Music with a Liesel who's like 40. And also, Vin Diesel steps in and directs. Yes, he ends up yeah. directing it after the community theater production, or community theater director loses his mind. 
Oh my god. That I think the fact that Vin Diesel steps in to direct is maybe stranger than the than that. You know? And the and the fact that Brad Garrett becomes Mother Superior at the end. Yeah. I guess the only scene I can think of that even because it's so out of place is the 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 blatant cheating scene of the ball just going everywhere like hippie dippy shake. Mm-hmm. It, it because to me it's that's the scene where I think they were like okay we got ninety five percent there we need the other five percent to kick it over the top well we need a bunch of guys running into each other so let's just do that I think that's the that's the only thing I can think of that's more bad shit if we're thinking emotionally bad shit then the whole Dylan Dil- uh, McDermott subplot easily because that is dark <laughs> it is. Luke, what'd you have? I I say that that for a movie that baseball was so pivotal to it, there's so much of a thing, it's understanding of the rules of baseball and <laughs> specifically that Mel Clark got to finish pitching that game. Are we also not talking about the fact that Mel Clark was in the injury reserve for a decade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. He was in, he was inactive for ten years, and then he's like, "Well, get ready. You're gonna pitch now." Like, <laughs> what? Yeah, cashing a check the whole time. The Angels kept him on the team for yeah. ten years. It See, makes no sense. For me, it was the general conceit of this movie where angels heard someone asking for help and they were like, all right, let's fulfill this kid's baseball request instead of like war, famine, anything. Yeah, baseball. Also, the the angels themselves, you don't really get a good glimpse of their faces that often. But yeah. when you but when you do, it is jarring to say the least they're like put through a cg gold filter which doesn't come out right it's like a golden christopher lambert or something mm-hmm. from like highlander it's just like eh, like that and also they keep saying oh she's doing it but clearly that's a man's face there are a few men and a few women yeah yeah uh and what do you guys have for your ranking and rating against the pacifier whoever wants to go first I'll let Luke go. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. You're the guest. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, now, in terms of like how I pick the ranking, am I just saying which one I prefer, the pacifier, or or how does the? It's, it's it's whatever you want. Uh, for example, I guess I'll go first as an example. I rated this two and a half magical Coke cups out of six, and it's not quite as good as the pacifier, but it's close. It's it's got a similar charm level, but it's it doesn't reach it for me. I would okay. Then based off that, I would I would keep that same rating. I'd give it a two and a half. Um, but I do think that it it's sort of weird comparing the two because one goes so out there, mm-hmm. and the other one has a groundedness. So if you're looking at it from that capacity, I almost give the edge to Angels in the Outfield for just having like a good grounded sense of of a story. Because remove all the slapsticky kind of stuff, and it could have been like a, a like a you know uh the return of the titan you know remember the titans kind of drama yeah but even that one had like a dance scene to it like you can add like dance scenes and like music montages but i still give the edge to the pacifier though just on blatant memorability 
Mm -hmm. I think that there are just, like you said, there are too many memorable things that happen in the pacifier that I think I could count on both hands, like memorable stuff in the pacifier. I can maybe count one hand for angels. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. And Luke? Right on. I gave it six mustard covered ponchos and a <laughs> pack of big league chew. I'm going to change it to the big league bucket, you know, the, the one big, the big league pack. bucket. Yeah. And it's uh it's about dead even with the pacifier, but the pacifier edge is out ahead for sure. Okay. I was going to say dead even. That's high for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. It's up there. I would say too that Angels would probably rank a bit higher to me if Danny Glover was considered the lead. Because there are parts that feel like Danny Glover takes the spotlight away from JGL a little mm-hmm. bit, like a touch, where if, if they made that the focus or made it like a co-lead kind of a thing. Yeah, make it a two-hander instead of JGL's. Because if you put like a, if you're going to put like a Danny Glover in a Vin Diesel comparison, like we could go all day because yeah. there's there so much you could do with that. Absolutely. I would honestly give Danny Glover like Chronicles of Riddick or the whole, <laughs> the whole Riddick franchise just to, you know, meet up to the Predator 2. Right. Just solely off that. All right. Well, that has been our discussion on Angels in the Outfield. And now Alex has the movie we're going to watch for our next episode. And he's going to give us some clues to see if we can figure out what it is. It's time to play the coming attractions game. All right. So I thought a lot about this um, because I... Because I was trying to think like, okay, well, what have they done before? But also thinking, well, I'm going to say it. or I, I chose what I said. I'm going to go for it. So a couple clues. One, there is an actor that is in this movie that is in this movie. Okay. And it's a pretty obvious one, too. <laughs> Probably. Um, so there's that. There is... Uh, there are... How, how, how do I describe this? There is a great uh, news reporter subplot. It takes place near the beach and features the only car chase I've ever seen in a liquid tunnel. I, I are, there, uh, are there two main leads to this film? There are two main leads. Okay. Am I allowed to answer the questions? I guess uh, no. Like, yeah, no, you can. Before? Yeah, uh, this is rare because I think Luke has it before I do. Um, is uh, this is part of a, a franchise? Maybe not a part of a franchise. Okay, oh. it's not a lethal weapon. It is not a lethal weapon. That's where my mind went when I saw Luke That's make where that I face. Was at too, yeah. Oh, it's no, no, it's not a lethal weapon. Okay. It, hmm. Oh, I'll, I'll give one more clue. It is Disney. Oh, wait. Is the person... Is this a late 90s movie? It is. And is it a very effects-driven? Maybe based off an old TV show? Yes. Oh, God. Oh, weird. Okay, is this streaming anywhere, I wonder? Well, we'll find out. Is this, uh, do you have any idea, Luke? 
Uh, no. You you wrestled it back. Is this my favorite Martian? Yeah, damn right it is. Oh, God. Oh. oh, I watched this recently. This is a weird one. Oh, my God. Well, the reason why I chose it, because I really had no idea what to pick, because I, you know, I always fear with, oh, I'm going to choose something they've done already, or I'm going to choose something. But I just, something about Christopher Lloyd just opens up all of those kind of possibilities for me. And this is one where I, and then I remember, and it was while I was watching Angels in the Outfield, I was like, and during this whole discussion, I'm like, oh no, this is perfect. That- it, it genuinely has pound for pound equal, if not more arguable things to wrestle with, with Pacifier because. It's a weird one from what I remember. As we were discussing earlier, the Christopher Lloyd weird CG transitions in my head, I was like, you know what else had weird Christopher Lloyd CG? My favorite Martian. It did. And here we go. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, all right. All right. So thank you very much for being here, Alex, and giving Thanks us- Thanks so much for having yeah. me, guys. This is such a fun time. I really had such a blast talking with you guys, and um, it's been great being able to like rewatch this and go down memory lane a little bit. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug or anything? Oh, um, well, I'm currently, uh, I'm actually part of a production that, uh, shockingly enough, I'm actually being able to act through all of this, which has been pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a production of Great Expectations by Dickens. It should be going up in December through Masquerade Theater, uh, which is a great company started up by uh, two amazing people uh, named Megan and Tommy in uh, part of the Haddonfield Plays and Players world, and they went off and did their own thing as oh, well. okay. Yeah, I know Megan and Tommy. Oh, they're the best. <laughs> so they're doing that. Um, I also do uh, original music. You can find me on SoundCloud under Alexander Samuel. And um, you can always follow my Instagram at alexlevitt1990 for any, or alevitt1990 uh, for any sort of weird dancing and or pop culture <laughs> references. And uh that's all I got to plug, though. But this has been such a great time, you guys. Thanks for having me. And yeah. uh, I will happily accept any invitation ever in the in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Luke, do you want to do your chicken plug? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, as per usual, we haven't... We'll, we'll retroactively change it if this has been... Uh, this has been remedied. It's not so far. Uh, if anyone can uh, get me in touch with the owners of the old Rafters Bar and Grill in Amherst, Massachusetts. I am desperately seeking the recipe for the old Yukon Gold chicken wing sauce. Has this been like a recurring thing? Yeah, yeah. This, is, this has been the past couple episodes. Um, and yeah, you can follow us on all of our social medias at No Highway Pod. You can follow us on YouTube, No Highway Option. You can call our No Highway Patrol tip line, which is our hotline where you can say whatever you want. Um, I'll put in the number later. This is future Connor filling in for that lazy bitch past Connor who forgot or just wanted to put it in later when it's only 301-941-7493 or 301-941-SIZE if you're better at remembering words than you are at remembering numbers. Was that so hard, past Connor? Also, special thanks to Ian C. Weber for recording our theme song. The C, of course, stands for Cracker Jack, because baseball. Be sure to follow the link in our show description to listen to Ian's music. And yeah, I'm still looking for a job as well. (laughs) So 
That's that. Tune in next week for My Favorite Martian with another special guest. And for No Highway Option, I've been Connor. And I've been Luke. And these have been our opinions. And if you don't agree with them, well, that's too bad because it's our way. No for a special announcement. Hey, Luke, what's some things you can do with a telephone? Um, if there was, like, a really mad goose in your house, um, you could hit the goose with the telephone. No, or you could call in to your favorite Vin Diesel-based podcast. This one. We have a hotline now. 301-941-7493 or if you like to think about words that's 301-941-SIZE SIZE um it's SIZE because that's all Google Voice could give me when I wanted to find one that had a word in it it's cause by doing these had... phone calls you could help us increase our listener size there you go give us a call let's see if this experiment works again that's 301-941-7493 or 301-941-SIZE give us a call okay bye the theme music for no highway option was created by ian c weber to hear more of ian's music and see some of his videos and stuff follow the new link in our show description no Highway Option was co-created and co-hosted by Connor J. Burke and Luke Smith and produced by Connor.